Okay, folks, we're having a little bit of fun. Let's, I want you to take out this sheet of paper. Uh, leadership axioms. On leadership axioms, we have been, uh, for the past few months, looking at a book that was written by Bill Hybels. He's pastor of Willow Creek Community Church. Uh, they've got like 25,000 members. He's just a great leader. And this, what this book is, is he says this small bite-sized uh, statements that you use to be able to communicate to your people and to express your leadership principles. Sometimes when you're trying to communicate with someone and you spend uh, sentences and sentences and paragraphs to try to get something across, he says, if you can take some axioms, just some small little, little bite-sized uh, sayings that you can just throw it out to your people, and when they hear it, they know exactly what you're talking about, and you don't have to do a whole lot of explanation. So that's what we do. We give you these axioms. You can take the principles and use them in your business but then you may sit there and say, hey, I like that phrase. I like that, I like that axiom. We talk about that a lot. We talk about hire tens, you know, uh, hire the best people that you can. You just, just those phrases, some you want to keep, some you want to ditch. Hey, my job, just give it to you. Are you ready? All right. We're building it around two different things today, activity and assessment. Activity and assessment. The very first activity is called Blue Sky Day, a blue sky day. Every organization runs the risk that over time they fall into a rut. And the easiest way to climb out of a rut is to give people permission to think completely different than they have ever thought before. A day set aside for dreaming. It's a day of unlimited visibility and unlimited ceilings. A day of unlimited visibility and unlimited ceilings. It's called a blue sky day. Let me tell you what you want to do. Just pull together some of your sharpest, freest thinkers. Get them together for about a half a day. Go off-site. Don't stay in the offices. Get off-site. You may go outside. may do something inside, but just get off-site. And then when you get off-site and you begin to talk to them, ask them this. What would we accomplish? What, what could we do to accomplish our purpose if there was nothing stopping us from doing it? What, how could we accomplish our purpose? If there was nothing stopping, I mean, don't think of any restrictions whatsoever. How could we best accomplish our purpose? How can we cover whatever it is that you do in business on that? And so um, it may be that you've got recurring meetings that need to be spiced up. It may be that uh, you need something new in your marketing ideas. It, it could be that you need to change up your structure. I, you know, it's just, you just got to be thinking about, um, about things, and then you unshackle your thoughts and just say, I'm going to be free, and let's just throw out some ideas. Now, we say take at least a half a day because it takes you half of a half a day just to get your mind off of your restrictive thinking because what would happen is you'll throw out an idea and say, no, that wouldn't work because of this. No, 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 no. Just throw out the ideas. Now, if, you've ever, if you ever do this on a blue sky day, you'll get the stupidest things you've ever heard, and you'll get some crazy stuff. But you know what? In the midst of throwing all this crazy stuff, guess what? Something's going to stick on the wall. And you're going to say, you know what? We never thought about that before. Maybe we could run with that. That's just called a blue sky day. So if you ever get into a rut, that's just something with your organization. You can say, hey, I think we need a blue sky day. Plan it out. Are you ready? All right. Number two, performance buys freedom. Performance buys freedom. And what this means is if your employees are doing their job really well, then you give them more freedom and you look over their shoulder less. 
But if their performance begins to slag, sag, then the monitoring increases and you begin checking on them a little bit more. You need to let your employees know that the choice is theirs. You know, some of them say, hey, I don't want you looking over my shoulder so much. Okay, guess what? Performance buys freedom. If you do your job well, then I don't have to look at you and keep up with you as much. But if you're not doing your job well, then we've got to get together maybe a couple times a week or at least once a week, and I've got to talk to you. And he said, if you don't really like that, performance buys freedom. And so it's just a great phrase. And that's, that's why I like about these axioms, because once you begin to implement some of this and, and you're just kind of trucking along in your organization and somebody is, is having a little bit of a problem, it just takes one statement. Hey, performance buys freedom. They know exactly what you're talking about. said, you know, I got to pick it up a little bit. All right, number three. Number three is this, don't screw up. You say, well, that's a good one. Uh, that's an action. When you first see that word and you say, don't screw up, you say, oh, man, that means that you're, you can never fail. Not at all. So you need to understand, listen to me very closely. When it says don't screw up, that doesn't mean you should have a fear of failure. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't take chances and then make some mistakes, not at all. It's a phrase that's used to remind employees that when they start a new venture or a program that they need to tend to every detail and make sure it's launched right. Uh, Bill Heibel says that sometimes when a young and excited employee has this adrenaline rush of a great new idea, you just got to make sure they've thought it through. Uh, we've got some young guys on our staff too. And sometimes they'll come up with some great ideas. You just want to make sure that they've really thought it through. You have got more experience, so you know there's some things that need to be kept in mind. Sometimes younger people, when they come in your organization, they've got all kind of enthusiasm. And they've got fresh ideas. That's good. But we've got to make sure that you think through everything. Now, I'm going to read exactly what Bill Hybel says. He says, this is what I would talk to uh, someone. He says, I'd look straight into those confident young eyes and say, this really is a thrilling opportunity you're being entrusted with, and I am happy for you. But can I give you a piece of advice? Don't lose your better judgment in the elation of launching something new. Think things through, cover the details, do the requisite follow-up so that you can so you'll increase the likelihood that this fun new kingdom thing will actually work over the long haul. And then Bill says this, and with just enough of a smile to confuse them, I would add, don't screw up. Okay? He said, now what that means is, is that I'm reminding you of all these things, and let's just don't mess it up. So this is what your fill in the blank is. Know your plan. Test your assumptions. Manage your resources and cover the details. Somebody comes up to you and they want to share this new idea. Hey, know your plan, test your assumptions, manage your resources, cover the, de the details. Now, if you want to as a manager to talk to someone and spend a long time talking to them, or you could use this one axiom, and that is, hey, don't screw up. Now, if they understand where you're coming from, it's fine. Bill Heibel says the people in his organization, they'll catch him. They'll kind of pass him in the hallway, and he'll get ready to ask him about this new idea. And he said, and I know, don't screw up. I understand it. I've got my details covered. That's good, okay? So they know that. Make sure you cover your details. Number four, brain breaks. Brain breaks. Now, there's a world-class performance coach called Jack. I think it's Groppel, G-R-O-P-P-E-L. He's written a lot of books. He's like a, a personal coach, and uh, he talks about how to get most performance uh, out, out of your day. 
And uh, he said, it is wholly unconstructive to think of your work day in terms of an eight or 10 hour marathon in which you keep running at a constant speed. He says, you don't come in at eight o'clock and run solid to five or six at a constant speed. We're just not built like that. You need to leverage burst of energy and then give yourself a break from the stress. So I want you to think about this. Have you noticed that when you're in a problem-solving meeting or you're in some high-intensity planning, that there are times that you're really focused, but then there's that span of time when your brain becomes mush and your eyes are glazed over? You need a brain break. And if you've ever led a meeting, you see it out there. Heck, I see it every Sunday. I preach. Uh, <laughs> boy, you guys need a brain break, don't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, and then usually they would come back and say, no, we just need a shorter sermon. Uh, they, well, that makes sense. But what that brain break is, is um, whenever you begin to see the eyes start glazing over and everything, you need to do what we call about a 15-minute timeout to get reinvigorated. About a 15-minute timeout to get reinvigorated. We are bodies work not just in one common go, 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 go hard. They can go and have these bursts of energy, but then there needs a time where you step back and just take like a 15-minute brain break. And it may be that you're in this intensive meeting and you begin to see the eyes start glazing and you say, brain break, everybody knows what you're talking about. Let's get up about 15 minutes. We're going to walk around, change your posture, get something to eat, get something to drink, get you a power bar, get you a cup of coffee, get you a Coke, whatever. Just kind of stretch. For me, my brain breaks or go outside. Got to get some vitamin D. Okay. Everybody talks about, Hey, you got to get some vitamin D. So that's what I do. I'll go outside and just kind of walk around and I'll tell Jan, I'll say, I'm going to, I'm doing a walk around. If I was in Australia, walkabout. And so you go out, and you just kind of walk all the way around this building on the outside and just stand around, kind of reinvigorate, get about 15 minutes worth of it, and then you come back in, and you're, and you're ready to go. So you need some brain breaks. You need some times to kind of let the turbines cool, and then they get picked back up, get your concentration going, and go from there. Now, if you ever lead meetings, and you see they're starting to go pretty lengthy, you can begin to pick it up and see the people and say, okay, hey, we need a brain break. You got that? Does that make sense? So right there, that's activity. Those are four things right there, just four axioms that can help you just in activity there in your business. Well, look at assessment, okay? The second part is assessment. How do you assess what you've been doing? How do you assess the things that have been happening in your business? Number one, facts are your friends. Facts are your friends. Now, what we mean by this is that when you're trying to figure things out, why things are not going as well. See, sometimes you don't have the um, empirical data, but you just got it in your gut or just from looking out and you're saying, you know, things just aren't going that well. Things aren't going that well. So you begin to ask and you say, so, so why do you think that is? And the first thing we do is we throw out the excuses that are the easy excuses that we can't control. It's the economy. It's the weather. It's the football schedule. It's this or that. When you'll throw these things out, and they're great to throw out. You know why? Because you don't control them. See, there's nothing I can do to control them. And as long as I believe it's just the economy or I believe it's just the weather or I believe it's just this or that that's out of our control, then we just sit around and meet and go, okay, all right, guess we'll keep on going. And then what happens is your business never gets better. Because if things are going down, things are slowing down, something's happening, there is probably some reasons for that, and that's why you gather the facts. 
And the facts are your friends because when you take the time to gather the facts and say, let's really take a look at this, when you see the facts, all of a sudden there'll be a couple things that are going to jump up and say, you know what, this is something we can work on. This is something where we're dropping the ball on. We can pick it up here. We can improve on this. And when you do that, then you can take your business to a whole new level. Facts are friends. Don't just accept the non-controllable excuses. Yes, the economy could have something to do with it. Yes, weather could have something to do with it. Yes, football schedule could have something, but there's probably more. And that's where you want to get your facts, and they will be your friends. All right, number two, and this is interesting, develop a mole system. (laughs) Develop a mole system. (laughs) Uh, Yes, I read this chapter three times. Make sure I fully understood what he's talking about. But as a leader, you rely on a lot of channels of input. And um, you have uh, people that are there in the organization that sit across from you maybe every day, and they give you some type of input. What he's talking about is develop a mole system is that you need to find a trusted individual who loves the organization and who's courageous enough to tell you the truth even when it's tough to hear. Find trusted individuals. They love the organization. They love you. But they're courageous enough to tell you the truth even when it's tough to hear. Because sometimes those who work for you are not going to be real honest with you. And, uh, and they may paint some rosier pictures than are really there. And so what you can do is look for people that you trust that are even outside your organization. Maybe if you're in a business that, that's doing uh, work here in this community um, and, and you're just wanting to know how are we doing out there Find some people that are friends of yours that, that are not a customer, maybe not even a customer and, and, uh, and don't work for you, but yet they're good friends and they love your company, love what you do. And you can sit down with them and, and every so often just say, so how are we doing out here in this community? Okay. Or maybe find a customer that you really trust that can be real honest with you where you can sit down with that one and say, how are we doing servicing this account? And, and let them give you uh, their thoughts because we have a tendency to always try to paint a rosier picture than is out there. And if you as a leader keep getting a rosy picture painted that's not a correct picture, then your business will never go to that next level that you want it to go to. So develop a mole system. Find someone that you can trust. And, you know, you, we have this as, as pastors in a church. You know, you've got your staff, but then you've also got some deacons and other people that are outside the staff that you can go to and just say, you kind of give me your your thoughts, okay? It's always good just to have another picture. Oftentimes, those informal channels are going to match up with the formal channels, but there may be sometimes where it doesn't. And when it doesn't, that's when you need to go back to that employee and and begin to get a little bit more detail. I know you're telling me this. I got so-and-so telling me that, okay? Number three is this. Find the critic's kernel of truth. Find the critic's kernel of truth. Now, if I asked you how many people love to be criticized, I don't think many of you would raise your hand. That's not one of the more fun things that we like. And oftentimes, we don't ask for criticism. It comes to us. And people will come to us, and they'll criticize us or criticize what we do. Now, when you get criticized, tell me honestly, what is your first reaction? Somebody, what is it? When someone throws criticism at you, what's your very first reaction? Do what? He might be right. Somebody else? You kind of get defensive too. See, I, my, my reflex is, first of all, is I kind of bow up a little bit and you get a little reflect, a little uh, defensive. 
But you know what Alvin says? You know, he might be right. And what it means is that there's a kernel of truth in probably every piece of criticism. Now, they may criticize you on something and give you all these details, and you take that, and when you take it and you look at it, a lot of what they said, you, you say, hey, this isn't really true, but there probably is a kernel of truth in this area over here. I hadn't thought about that. And so anytime you receive criticism, find the critic's kernel of truth. If you're always bowing up, getting defensive, then you're really never going to learn. And you know what the great thing is? Is that if you learn from your criticism, you'll have less criticism because you'll be getting better and better on there. Every criticism is a little bit of kernel too. Here's the statement. You're never as bad as the criticism, but you can learn from it. You're never as bad as the criticism. Usually when someone criticizes, it's even worse than, than what you are, but you can learn from it. And so we want to learn from every piece of criticism. So you or your organization receives criticism, you need to find the kernel of truth. And that's hard because none of us like to be criticized, but we've got to realize that there is some truth to the criticism. Number four, let's debrief. Let's debrief. Now, what debrief is, is simply, it means to evaluate something from the top to the bottom, all right? It means you evaluate it from top to the bottom. You start something new, first time you do it, you have a debrief. Uh, we did a carnival uh, over here uh, this past week. We have a debrief on that. Every time we have something major that we do, you sit back down and you do a debrief. What did we do good? What did we do bad? Take honest assessment. Take responsibility for the bad and the ugly. Learn from every situation, and you hope to improve your leadership. Call people in. Call those that worked on it. Call those who were part of it. Say, give me your feedback. Let's debrief on this because we want to do it the best that we can. Debrief. Do not do some major um, uh, uh, event and not come back and do a debrief. That's just huge. Well, I just came back from running a marathon in Boise, Idaho. And uh, most people say, why did you go to Boise, Idaho? Well, my daughter is living up in that area. And so uh, I had to come an excuse to, to go all that distance. So I trained for a marathon. And so I went over there, saw my daughter, and then ran Sunday a marathon. It was the inaugural. Now, you know, I'm, I'm thick, okay? I told myself never run the inaugural marathon because there's always going to be problems. You know, the first marathon I ever ran was in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, it was in the end of March. And it was the first one they'd had. There were 15,000 people there. It was the hottest day in the history of Atlanta. Uh, it was in the mid-80s by the time we got to the finish. 25% of the people dropped out, and for the first eight miles, there was no water. Uh, seems like you would have thought about that. Uh, now, the real fast people got the water. The slow people didn't. We got by, and what was so funny about it, we thought they were supposed to be at mile two, and they're wide, and they were supposed to be at mile four, and they're wide, and the people at mile six, they, they were pretty uh, smart. They took their table down. Uh, the others left their table up and just was like, hey, got no water. The people at mile six, they took their table and threw it off to the side, pretending like, hey, no water's supposed to be here. So, um, so I told myself never to do another one. But, you know, got a daughter up there. Let's do it. Let's see if we can make this work. So it was the onward Shay, um uh, marathon. And it was named after a woman named Shay Hirsch, who had battled cancer for 11 years. 
and she was a very positive woman. Her husband, uh, George Hurst, was like one of the first editors, publishers of Runner's World magazine, huge with the New York Marathon. And so she was huge in the running community, and she was from Boise. And when she passed away, they wanted to do a run that would honor her. And so it was pretty intriguing. So sure enough, I, I go there. The thing I forgot to read till after I got there was that her favorite movie was The Wizard of Oz, okay? And so in The Wizard of Oz, they were going to take what you learn from The Wizard of Oz, you know, with courage and heart and other things. And, and so there's a little Wizard of Oz themes, you know, throughout it. And, you know, the reason you run the marathon, and I got Chuck back over, you run it to get the hardware. You know, you want to get a nice-looking medal and all of that. Well, you know, after I ran this, I got the medal, and just to show you a picture of the medal, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's Dorothy and Toto, too, uh, down here, and so, um, you know, it's, it's one of those that when I put them on the wall, they'll say, oh, so your wife ran that one. Yes. Uh, I told the staff that when I got this, I thought that I had sold more Girl Scout cookies than anyone else, and I had received the award. So, so, so you got that, a little bit of surprise, but it was okay, but some of the difficulties were is that you're supposed to run at 12 o'clock. And so we get into the shoot about 10 till 12, and this guy, the music's pumping. They're all excited. We're on a countdown two minutes before we go. We're all thrilled. and We're supposed to leave at 12. It's an odd time for one, but we're leaving at 12. And all of a sudden, right across said, whoa, we're waiting on one of the transports from the relay to come. It'll be another five minutes. All right, over there. And five minutes later, whoa, we're going to count down. Hey, we've got about three more minutes. This is it. We're ready to go. And then he comes back and says, well, it's probably going to be about 15 minutes uh, before we go. If anybody wants to go use the potty, this is a good time. And then it starts to rain. And uh, finally at 12.30, we start running, okay? And it rained for about two and a half hours while we ran and all that. But it was beautiful. Idaho's incredible. It was really beautiful. Really enjoyed it. And, you know, a marathon is how long? Anybody know how long a marathon is? 26.2, okay? Well, not your pastor. It's 26.5. I made a wrong turn. Um, thank you, volunteers. Uh, you know, they, uh, I just kind of missed and uh, there's a water table, and then I started heading down a path, and there was no one there except way down there, a guy in a backpack. And I said, you know, I just don't think that looks like a runner. And then I looked back and realized I had taken a wrong turn. Not that any volunteer would tell me that I was going the wrong way. So I come across, and it was really 26.6 miles. Just as I was feeling either bad for myself or feeling stupid, didn't know which one, I read the article about the woman that won. The woman that won, she ran 28.2. She went off two miles and got lost and came back. So I feel better about myself. But it was funny because when you read the article, the people that put it together said, hey, it's our first one. We're going to assess. We're going to learn from it. And they will. And it'll be even better. It was fun, but they said, we got to assess. Debrief. Listen, everything you do, you got to debrief. Very last thing is this, speed versus soul. Speed versus soul. As leaders, we generate an increasing amount of velocity in our own lives and in the organization. And as you get in an organization, the speed, you get faster and faster and more stuff and more stuff. And if you could graph your life out, your speed line would probably be going up to the right. But the problem is, is that the speed line goes up to the right. We've also got a soul line. That's our relationship with God, our relationship with family, our relationship with friends. And when the speed line gets going really high to the right, sometimes that soul line starts dissipating. 
And there's always that conflict of speed versus soul. And here's your question. What direction is your soul line moving? What direction is your soul line moving? One of the, most t- one of the typical things that happens as leaders is that we spend so much time on our speed line and in those impact-rich years of our life, our soul line goes under. And we miss out on our family, our friends, and our relationship with God. So as we get ready to close this out, I'm just going to ask you that question. you got to ask yourself and do your own thinking. Is my soul line moving up or down in my relationship with God? Is my soul line increasing with my family and with my friends, or is it going down? And once you answer that question, if it's going down, then I would hope that you would humble yourself, slow your pace, alter your job description, alter your meeting schedule, reclaim some of those spiritual practices and family practices in order to get that soul line even stronger. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 26, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Man, that means you gain it all, all the accolades of your business, but you forfeit your life. You give up your soul, and you give up your family and your friends. So I hope that today you'll, you'll be introspective on that. Take an assessment of your life. Where's your soul line going? And my hope and my prayer is that if you look and say, I don't really have a soul line with God at all, that today would be a day when you say, you know, I've got to, I want to build that relationship. I want to start that walk and start that journey and, and to know more about him and his son, Jesus Christ. And, uh, and we're here. We'd love to talk to you about that. And so I hope that that would be a part of it. I hope you have a really good uh, uh, day today. This book, the very last section, I couldn't have planned this any better <laughs> of all things. We're going to cover in December. Personal integrity. Perfect for our election. <laughs> as as we go through a struggle this next week to elect our next president. After we elect our next president, if you'll come back in December, we'll have some amazing giveaways, and we're going to talk about personal integrity, all right? We got a lot of bad examples. We're going to find some good examples. Listen, hope you guys have a great day. Thank you all very much. <laughs>